Today on Main Calling, one of the big cosmic questions, what is time? When we move our clocks ahead by one hour, are we actually altering time? Daylight savings time is a reminder that time is not really a fixed constant. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Main Calling, ways to think about time. After all, it's a human construction that, by definition, is unchanging. Or is it? To a physicist, space and time are intimately linked. Philosophers ponder the ways in which time shapes how we view the world and consider the ethics of time. How do you perceive of time? Did the pandemic seem to warp the days and weeks? Do you dream of time travel? Is it even possible? Main Calling is just ahead. Maine Calling On Demand is made possible by listeners and by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. And by Welch and Forbes, working with clients to manage the full range of events that come with building wealth, from investments to trustee services. More at welchforbes.com. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. Sunday's time change may have put you off kilter, but why? Are we really regulated by time, and does it stay constant? What is time, anyway? Well, we are going to tackle that big question today. My guest, Lauren Ashwell, who's Associate Professor of Philosophy at Bates College. She specializes in metaphysics. And Stephen Nasulich, Professor of Natural Sciences in the Department of Physics and Astronomy at Bowdoin College. We want you to join the conversation. What do you want to know about the nature of time? Are you like me? Are you convinced that time is accelerating? Send an email to talk at mainpublic.org. Post a comment to Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Again, 1-800-399-3566. I'm so excited to do this program. This is a topic the main calling team talks about all the time, and a Daylight Savings Time has given us a good excuse to do so. So I'm going to start with you, Professor Nasulich. How do physicists think about the concept of time? Thanks, Jennifer. And I just want to say thank you for having me on the show. It's a real, it's a real honor. Um, so time, it's a big subject. Um, it's often characterized as the fourth dimension, uh, in addition to the three spatial dimensions that we live in. Now, this is not a profound statement. It simply means that if we want to characterize something that happens, we must specify not only where it happens, but when it happens. So you give three coordinates for the position, east, west, north, south, up and down but you also need one coordinate to specify when it happens. So there are four coordinates that, so we say that's a four dimensional, uh, we live in a four dimensional space. Now what physics brings to this and particularly Albert Einstein's theory of special and general relativity is that space and time are closely related to one another and they get mixed up with one another in such a way that we can't really talk about them separately. We need to talk about a single entity called space time. So you can't really talk about time without talking about space. Now, it's a little difficult to explain what I mean by this mixing without getting into the equations. But the upshot is that time is not quite as simple as everyone thinks. 
Isaac Newton, who lived in the 17th century, thought that absolute time exists independently of any observer and is the same for everyone. And that's a natural assumption to make, but it's not true. Uh, Albert Einstein showed at the beginning of the century that time is perceived differently by different observers, in particular observers that are moving with respect to one another. In fact, time moves more slowly for a moving observer as perceived by a stationary observer. This is very strange, it's called time dilation. Now you probably have never uh, experienced this because it's negligible at ordinary speeds like driving a car. But if you were in a rocket ship that was moving at 90% of the speed of light, time would flow at half the rate of a stationary observer. And as a result, you'd age twice as slowly. So it's actually a question of time slowing down at high speeds. And I just also want to say that in Einstein's theory of general relativity, things get even weirder. We say that as a result of gravity, four-dimensional space-time becomes curved, especially in the pr uh, presence of large masses. Now, what does it mean to say that space and time are curved? Well, in terms of time, it simply means that time flows at different rates in different locations. In particular, time will slow down as you get nearer a massive object, such as the sun, or particularly a black hole. Even the Earth's gravitational field will cause time to flow slightly more slowly. So that, for example, the clocks on the Earth will get, will, uh, get out of sync with clocks that were in satellites orbiting high above the Earth. And uh, I, I mention this because these, are, these clocks are used in the GPS system that we all use to find our location on the Earth. And so you need to take into account this variation of time. So that's, mm. I just wanted to kind of give you some idea of how time is, can flow at different rates in different places and at different speeds. Okay, we really all need about 10 minutes to just think about all that and let it set in, but I'm not giving anybody that time. I'm going right to you, Lauren, and asking you, how do philosophers think about time? Well, we pick up on some of the same kind of issues, but what we uh, often focus on is um, tensions in our ordinary ways of thinking about time and then also connections between our ordinary ways of thinking about time and what physics might tell us about what time is like. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of unravel and try to make sense of these ways of thinking. It's really natural to think about time as something that flows, but flowing itself is a time-based concept. So how, how, what can it mean to say that time flows? How fast does time flow? Does it flow one second per second? Um, we might also think, as Dr. Nasulich was, was talking about, that it's possible for time to speed up or slow down. But that seems to involve thinking about time as flowing relative to some kind of meta time. So what do we really mean if we say that time speeds up or slows down in, um, in this physics understanding of the world? Philosophers really structure, have structured recently their thinking about uh, what time is relative to two different ways of thinking about, uh, about the structure of time. Um, and one is thinking of time as something like a timeline, which is a really static conception of time. And it fit, uh, connects up with what Dr. Nasulich was thinking about, is thinking about time as being this fourth dimension, as being somewhat sort of analogous to space. But some philosophers have argued that this can't really be what time is because it doesn't capture the idea of change and change is so tight 
tightly bound up with our idea about what um, what time is. In fact, some people have thought that like it's really impossible to have a universe where there is no change, but yet there is still time. That um, that time essentially involves this kind of change. And so the second way of thinking about time is as a relation between you. So you're in a location on that timeline, and things are past, present, and future. But um, some philosophers have also been concerned that this kind of conception of time has its own difficulties and imports that idea of a meta time in order to make sense of it. Um, because when you describe the, um, the, this kind of conception of time, you end up having to use temporal time-based concepts in order to talk about it. You say that um, this, this particular episode of Main Calling was future is present at some time will be past but this is saying was future and so that's using temporal concepts in order to talk about time and so perhaps there's some kind of problematic circularity in there so we really look at um, arguments and thoughts about how time could possibly be structured and whether there are contradictions or tensions in that. Um, and then finally, um, another kind of thing that you might look at is um, temporal logic, which is, is something that I worked on a long time ago, um, which really is modeling um, talk about about time in a logical system. Wow. Okay. So so much to get to. I have so many notes in front of me, but I'm going to go back to you, Dr. Nasulich, and ask you about something you said about um, if people were traveling at a certain speed, it would, it would slow how they aged. And we actually have a very concrete example of that, don't we, with the Kelly twins who are astronauts? Um, uh, that's true. I think that in, in their case, uh, the speeds that we're talking about are probably not uh, significant enough for us to really see much difference in their aging. But there is something uh, in relativity called the twin, the, the twin paradox, where we, we talk about uh, a pair of twins that are separated uh, and one goes out and uh, comes back. And then the question is, who's aged more than the other. Is that, is that kind of what you're thinking? Yeah, about? Yeah. Well, I'd read that, that, that they were studied and um, that they did find some differences. And, and I was just wondering if you thought that was related to our conversation today, the, the Kelly twins. So I, I'm not exactly aware of what you're um, okay. referring to. Um, I'm sure there are differences because of uh, the difference of, of, of uh, being in different environments. Uh, as I say, the, the time effects are only really uh, significant once you're at a significant, you're moving at a significant fraction of the speed of light, which uh -huh. I doubt is the case with them. Okay. Um, okay. Then I'll ask you another question because I have so many. Great. How, I understand we have a way of defining a second. Uh, how, how is that, how did humans how come up thing? with, <laughs> how did we decide to define a second in a minute, in an hour? Okay, that, that's a great question. Um, as you can see from our discussion so far, both from uh, Dr. Ashwell's uh, discussion and mine, time is a pretty slippery concept. I mean, because of the fact that we live in time, right? It's the background. So how do you talk about time when it's sort of the substrate um, that we're living in? It's, so it's a slippery concept and we need to be very precise about what we mean by time. Physicists have adopted a very simple and pragmatic definition of time. And you may laugh at this when you first hear it, but the way physicists define time is 
Time is what clocks measure. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's the only way you have a handle on time. What is a clock? A clock is any regularly repeating phenomenon. Um, for example, Galileo used his pulse to time things. A grandfather clock uses a pendulum swinging back and forth to keep time. The pendulum swings back and forth, you know, maybe once per second, say. Another uh, example of a clock is the Earth rotating on its axis. The Earth rotates on its axis once every day. And so each of these can be used to measure and therefore define time. Now, some clocks are better than others. A pulse is not a very good clock because your pulse rate depends on whether you're exercising or not. The Earth's rotation is actually a pretty good clock, but due to its interaction with the moon, its rotation is slowing down very slightly over time so that the days are getting slightly longer. I wouldn't worry too much about it because it's only a matter of a couple of milliseconds a day each century, but nonetheless, it, it means that the, the, the rotation, you know, the rotation rate is changing. So then you have to ask yourself, what makes the best clock? So let me just take a, a quick diversion and talk about um, uh, an example from music. A tuning fork could be considered as a clock. So suppose you have a tuning fork that's tuned to concert A pitch, which means that it vibrates 440 times every second. Now, the reason you use that is to tune other instruments uh, so that everyone has the same pitch. Uh, you're getting everything so that it's vibrating at 440 times a second. But the tuning fork itself might not be perfect. Maybe it's vibrating at 440.01 times a second. Now, we wouldn't hear that difference, but you could certainly detect it with, um, with, with certain instruments. But it depends on how you define a second. And this gets to what you were asking, Jennifer, about uh, how do we define a second? We could define a second using a tuning fork. We could define a second so that once, when a tuning fork vibrates 440 times, that is the definition of a second. So that would be a way of defining a second. Now, we could do that, but the problem is it would depend on our particular tuning fork. Not all tuning forks are exactly the same, and so we'd have to pick one of them. You the best kind of clock is, is one that is always the same. And an example of that is an atom. Atoms of a particular element are exactly the same. And so if you can use an atom to define a vibration, then you could use an atom to define time. And that is precisely how um, physicists define, define time. They use atoms of the element cesium. So cesium atoms have different energy levels. And when they make transitions between those levels, they emit light or actually microwaves. And these microwaves have a certain frequency, just like a tuning fork has a frequency, except it's much higher. Um, and so, uh, in fact, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, cesium atoms, when they make this transition, vibrate at 9,192,631,770 times per second. And that's an exact statement because that's how we define the second. That is literally how the second is defined. It's 9 billion vibrations of the cesium atom. And because all cesium atoms are the same, you can build clocks out of these anywhere in the world or off the world for that matter, and they will define for you um, the second. Wow. Nine billion is hard to count to, <laughs> especially in it a is. second. It is. It is. It is. Um, it is. Lauren, I want to go back to something you said about talking about past, present, and future, how a moment in time will be all three. Did all, do all cultures see that in the same way, or are there cultural differences about how we even think about time? Do all cultures define past, present, and future in the same way that we do? 
Yeah, I think that as as philosophers, we have to be sort of very careful about um, thinking about our intuitions about these uh, fundamental structures of reality, because it can seem to us to um, from our particular perspective that there is really only sort of one way to think about um, the structure of time and that something can feel very obvious, whereas had we been brought up differently, we might think about it um, in a different kind of way. Um, so one, one kind of alternative structure that you might consider is, um, you know, whether time really is sort of this linear thing or whether it is something more circular, whether there are kinds of recurrence and and this um, this kind of view, um, you know, does does come up in in both Western and Eastern philosophy. Um, and that kind of view um, will uh, bring into question some of the assumptions that we're that um, many Western philosophers make about what time is like, um, that something can't be both past, present and future, because if time really is some kind of circular um, recurring uh, thing, then moments are both past and present um, in relation to each other. Um, and so I, I do I do agree that we need to think about this now some um, uh, some people have investigated whether uh, the particular words that we have to describe time might change what our perception of time is and how sort of linguistic structures of of talking and conceptualizing time might um, might change things. Um, and uh, they've uh, it's been um, suggested that what happens with our, uh, our linguistic influence on our uh, perception of time is that it it can affect kind of late stage cognitive processing um, if we think about time differently. So our experience of time might actually be differ depending on the conceptual structure that is um, available in our culture. Mm, well, one thing we still haven't talked about is time travel. So we're going to talk about that next and we're going to take a break. This is Maine Calling. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today, our topic is the concept of time, how it's interpreted, what it has to do with space, and what it means in our lives. Joining me today, Professor Steve Nasulich, who is a physicist who teaches at Bowdoin, and Professor Lauren Ashwell, a philosopher who teaches at Bates. Share your comments and questions. Have you ever wondered about time travel or why time seems to go so fast or some so slow sometimes? You can send an email to talk at mainpublic.org, comment on social media, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. We're going to go to Al, who's calling from Kittery. Hi, Al. Go ahead. 
Hi, Jennifer. Thanks for having me on. Um, I have a question for Professor Nasulich. Um, I teach a, a high school physics class, um, and for years I've been teaching a unit on special relativity. And something that's been bugging me for years and I can't ever find an answer to, it's also the most common question I get from students, is um, in standard mechanics we express everything uh, parametrically, x versus time, y versus time, where when we're representing our, our coordinate axes, um, our, our frame of reference, we always put time on a horizontal axis and x and y always go on the vertical axis. Again, sorry about the nature of the question, a little dorky, but sure. um, when we switch over to relativistic quantities, um, for some reason, I'm not sure if this was Einstein or Lorentz or, or somebody before them, decided um, in their infinite wisdom to start putting time on the y-axis, which is really confusing to students and really confusing to me as well. Um, we're used to seeing quantities on a graph that are steeper being faster, um, but when we switch those axes, things that are steeper appear to be slower. Um, I'm wondering if is, is there the, the most common question, I guess, why did they do that? Um, is there a reason for it? And I know it's just a, a made-up construct, but um, I'm wondering if there's a, a, a legitimate reason other than trying to annoy students that, that, that um, Einstein <laughs> or whoever had done that. That's, that's a great question. And, 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 and you're exactly right. It's, it's, it's completely a convention. Um, um, somehow when we, when we first think about physics, we have time flowing to the right. Uh, on, on our on our graphs and in space-time diagrams time always flows upward and this is just a convention you're just doing a reflection as it were um, from one to the other um, I should actually mention that in, in it's a kind of a funny thing because I'm a particle physicist and we also have to draw diagrams that kind of look like space-time diagrams and and in fact when people were drawing those many years ago they did follow the Einstein convention with time flowing upward and at some point it just got kind of annoying to do the diagrams that way. And so the, the convention switched. So it really is just a convention. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any deep uh, understanding of why, um, but you're, you're right. Um, uh, I guess, yeah, I, I guess I, it's, hard, it's hard. I don't have a, um, an explanation for it. It's just a choice. And, and physics okay, and- I've, I've Googled, it, Googled it many times and can't find a, an answer as to why that was done anywhere, but- uh, it's pretty universal among high school students when they're taught this concept that it's uh, it's pretty annoying because they spent years always looking at time going horizontally and and all of a sudden now it's vertical and it's just it's it's annoying for a lot of students. Al, what I'm I, sorry. What, <laughs> well, I have you on the phone. I want to ask you about um, high school kids and when you get into this unit and you talk about time and relativity. What do you hear from them? Do they do they get it? Do they like it? Do they do they groan oh, and absolutely. throw things at you? <laughs> it's probably one of the most enjoyable units. I actually, when I learned it, when I was, I, I think it was probably a sophomore, junior in college, um, I found it completely annoying. Um, I, I was taught by a professor who said, look, um, everything you learned in Newtonian physics is wrong. We have to refigure everything. And um, actually, I start by showing there's a great set of videos that um, Leonard Susskind does out of Stanford. And um, I start by showing some of those videos where he just talks about correction factors when things are moving at relativistic speeds. Um, kids actually really enjoy it. They, they love the idea. We you know we present the whole twin paradox, um, uh, the, the new language we start talking about with things like invariance, where time and length are no longer invariant. Um, it, uh, the kids really enjoy it. They, they get a kick out of it. The, and, you know, plus the problem sets you do with it um, are, are very simple, um, as opposed to you know, when we get into some like rotational mechanics and things like that, the problems can be very, very challenging. Um, these are very simple problems to do. You know, you're calculating a, a, what, what would this length be measured in a different frame of reference? What would this time be measured? So the problems are algebraically very simple, which they enjoy. 
and the idea of uh, you know the twin paradox where somebody can travel at 99 percent the speed of light and come back in 10 years and everybody they know is 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 aged you know 100 years is it's uh you know pretty interesting stuff to them they, they really do enjoy the unit unfortunately there's there's no labs and no real hands-on anything we can do with it that that's kind of the downside of it al thanks so much for calling in lauren i'm going to ask you a question that I think everybody in the world has. How come sometimes time goes so fast and sometimes it seems to stand still? I mean, we even have things we say about this, you know, that time flies when you're having fun or um, the opposite. So why is that? Yeah, so I think you have to be careful to um, sort of separate out uh, two different things. So there is time and questions about whether time itself speeds up or slows down um, and whether our perception of time might speed up and, and slow down and what might uh, impact that. So, you know, a lot of what felt to me to happen in the pandemic is that time seemed I seem to lose kind of all sense of time because of a certain kind of monotony of my life. I didn't have as many things to um, sort of points in my memory of events that were happening that would structure my time. You know, everything to me just kind of ended up feeling the same. And so my experience of time during the pandemic um, was really, really strange. Lots of things can affect our perception of time. There's some interesting work that came out of Cornell. I think it was maybe in the last week or two um, that looked at people's perception of time um, being modulated by their heart rate variability. So they looked at um, you know, how your heart can sometimes, even where you're not exercising, has little variations between the beats. And they found that um, where you have sort of slightly shorter time between the beats, um, that impacted how you would uh, perceive tones. So you judge to tones that you were hearing as being shorter when they weren't um, because of uh, your heart rate variability. Um, and you'd perceive them as being longer when there was more time between beats. So we do seem to have some kind of internal clock uh, relative to which we're measuring time. And that can, I think, be affected by all sorts of things like physical processes, but then also the events um, that are happening in your life can structure your experience of time. Fascinating. Steve, before we run out of time, I'm going to ask you the big question. Is time travel really possible? Oh, boy. I Somehow I knew that uh, that question was going to come up on the show. So uh, first, I'll just say there's a sense in which time travel is not only possible, but inevitable. Every minute of our lives, we travel 60 seconds into the future. So we are traveling in time forward. It's also possible to travel far into the future by using time dilation. This is what our, our uh, caller Al mentioned with the, the, the twin paradox. If you hop aboard a fast moving rocket ship and travel to some distant destination and then return at the same speed, your internal processes slow down as perceived by someone on earth and you'll age less. And when you reach home, assuming you survive the rigors of the trip, you'll actually uh, be uh, a lot younger than your counterparts. So at, you can Im imagine going at a sufficiently high speed that you could travel as far into the future as you'd like. Of course, it would be kind of depressing because when you came back, all your friends would be dead. Um, but what people usually mean, and I think this is what you're getting at by time travel, is traveling backward in time. Is that what you're thinking of? Or forward, but yeah, sure. 
<laughs> well, forward in time is no problem, as I just mentioned. But backward in time, of course, this is the trope of countless science fiction novels and movies, uh, usually involving someone wanting to travel back into the past to change the past. And this uh, I have a lot more trouble with. Um, this is a very speculative idea, and I don't really see any support for the possibility of that uh, in the framework of physics. Uh, one way to uh, understand that uh, you know, so we were t we've been t I've been talking about time as a dimension, like spatial dimensions. But as Dr. Ashwell mentioned, uh, it's not really the same kind of dimension as space, and that's true. Uh, in, with spatial dimensions, you can go backward and forward. You can go in the plus direction and the minus direction. But with time, you seem it seems that you can only go forward. Uh, it's a sort of a uni unidirectional thing, and this is related, I believe, to the second law of thermodynamics which says that entropy increases in time. Entropy uh, uh, always increases. So entropy is a measure of disorder, how messy things are. And uh, any of you who've ever had kids know uh, that <laughs> seems to inevitably increase with time. Um, for example, if I drop a glass onto the floor, it shatters into a million pieces. But you don't usually see a, a bunch, a million pieces of glass fall into the floor and recombine into uh, a whole glass, because that would involve a decrease in, in uh, it, it would it a decrease in disorder or increase in order. So we don't usually see that unless, of course, you're playing a movie backwards. But that's exactly the point. You're playing it backwards. Time seems to involve always uh, increasing disorder. And, and that seems to be a, one good reason why we don't expect um, to be able to, to travel backward in time. There are some logical reasons for that as well, which I think Dr. Ashwell could also talk about. Right. But, and I wanted to ask you, Lauren, when philosophers talk about the concept of time travel, you take it up a notch and talk about the ethics of the concept of t time travel, correct? Yes. Yeah. So there are uh, both questions about the metaphysics of time travel and um, a lot of uh, questions there have to do with causation and whether backwards causation is possible. And um, that connects up with what Dr. Nasulich was was just talking about, um, about thermodynamics. Um, but of course, there's also the ethics of time travel. If you were in a situation where uh, you were uh, traveling back in time, what would be permissible for you to do, particularly given if you have knowledge of the future? Um, one of my students actually wrote a, uh, a thesis that was about uh, Groundhog's Day and what mm. the ethics of the, what the main character should do once he realizes he's in this kind of time loop situation. Um, how can he uh, treat other people given that he knows that things are going to reset? Well, he knows to some degree of probability that things are going to reset the next day. Is it permissible for him to just be awful given that there'll be no lasting effects and some kinds of uh, ethical theories suggest that maybe it would be permissible. Um, my student thankfully argued that that was not, <laughs> that was not permissible. Um, so yeah, there's lots of interesting questions uh, about, about time travel um, that we, we think about in philosophy and my students also love thinking about that. We'll go to Mike calling from Cape Elizabeth. Hi, go ahead. Oh, hi, Jennifer. I was wondering I think it's interesting that we live in the past, present, or future, but when we meditate, we try to live in the present and slow time down, I think. But whenever I meditate, it seems to go by fast, so time seems to be speeding up and slowing down at the same time. But is it possible to just live in the present if there's this sense of uh, past, present, and future? 
And do you guys both meditate? That's all I got. <laughs> okay, Lauren, is it possible to live in the present? Yeah, so I have tried meditation and I am uh, I have not mastered anything close to uh, successful meditative practice. Um, so philosophers have actually uh, sometimes thought that really the only thing that you can do is live in the present because the present is the only thing that is real. Of course, when we say living in the present, uh, living in the future versus living in the past, we don't actually mean like literally living in the past, living in the future. We mean sort of thinking and focusing um, too much on what's going to happen uh, or what has happened rather than what is happening. So, you know, we do just live in the present. That's the only thing that we we can do uh, because perhaps that is the only thing that is really real. But um, when, we're when we're saying don't live in the future, it's like don't think too much, don't put too much um, uh, of your attention on the future, but pay attention to what's happening now because that's the stuff that's actually happening. Can I, can I interrupt? Yeah. Um, Lauren, that's um, uh, interesting, you know, talking about the present is the only thing we live in. And I seem to recall uh, maybe there was a Greek, an ancient Greek philosopher who had a notion a different way of thinking about things. Instead of us flowing through time, we're always there and the time is flowing past us. As like if you were standing in a river, you would not be moving, but the river would be flowing past you. So the present comes toward you. Are you, are you familiar with that? Yeah, somewhat. Um, I focus mostly on more contemporary, uh, contemporary work, but yes. So and, interesting. And I to, Go ahead, Steve. And I, I seem to also recall that in this image, we think of ourselves as facing the future, but I believe that um, these philosophers, when they imagined time as a river flowing past you, they had a person facing the past because the past is all you can see. You can't see the future. The future is in some sense behind you. So I thought that was an intriguing concept. It really Mike, depends on what, oh, yeah. the, right. what the metaphor of looking at uh, is, whether it's sort of epistemic in the sense that it's about what we know, which would be looking to the past, or whether it's about where we're going, um, looking to the future. Right. Mike, thanks for your call. We have so many questions coming in for you too, but we do need to take a break. This is Main Calling. We're talking about time. We'll be right back. The second Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks and you are listening to Maine Calling. And today on the show, yes, we are talking about time. What is it exactly? With me, two professors, Lauren Ashwell teaches philosophy at Bates and Steve Nasulich teaches physics at Bowdoin. If you'd like, you can call us and join our conversation, but you should be quick. Speaking of time, call 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org, tweet at Maine Calling, or post to our Facebook page or to Instagram. Um, let's see. I'm going to go to John. This is an email. He asks, were sundials, Stonehenge, and other ancient methods of measuring time a local means of measuring the cyclical requirements of local agriculture, hunting, fishing, etc.? Today seems more 
global and linear as opposed to the circular nature of a clock or other ancient means of tracking time. So John, a great question. And Lauren, even in that question, thinking about how clocks used to be a circle and now usually they're digital. Um, any thoughts on sort of this concept of how humans perceive of time maybe is changing? Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, question. Um, I don't know that I have uh, much to say about um, the change between, you know, clocks being analog to being digital, um, except that uh, I did find that I was unsure whether the time change had actually happened because all the clocks that were around me over the weekend were digital and even ones that weren't connected to the internet um, updated and it was only once I found one of these analog clocks that I was absolutely sure that oh that's right yes there was definitely um, a time change. Um, I'm going to go to there's so many good emails coming in um, an email here from Richard this will be for you Steve since objects okay. that are closer to the edge of the observable expanding universe are traveling faster than objects less close to the edge, time should elapse slower for those distant objects than it does for us. When we estimate the age of distant galaxies at the edge of our detection capability with the Webb telescope, do the calculations take that into account, the difference in the rate of time for those distant objects? Oh boy, we're opening up a lot of cans of worms here. Um, so one thing I haven't talked about, we haven't talked about is the expanding universe. So our, our current understanding of the universe um, is, 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 is that uh, it, it's expanding. And by that, I mean that every part of the universe is, is moving away from every other part of it. So um, um, that, 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 that's, that's one fact. Um, so we actually, when we want to define time at different locations, we need to use clocks. As I said, clocks are how we define time. And so what you'd imagine is that you imagine you have clocks at every location, okay, in the universe. And these, the, the clocks will determine the local time. Now, the thing is, if the universe, the universe is expanding, so different parts of the universe are moving apart from one another, but each part of the universe, imagine you have a, a galaxies that are moving apart, each galaxy is at rest in its own reference frame. So the clock that's at rest in that galaxy is measuring the time in that galaxy. And so there's in some sense a global time that is defined by the local clocks on every, on, on, on every galaxy. Um, the real thing that you have to take into account when you're looking at light from the distant parts of the universe is the time travel, the, t the time it takes for that light to reach us. So indeed, when you're looking at objects that are close to the edge of the observable universe, you're actually looking back in time. You're looking at them at a time in which the light uh, left that object. Uh, and of course, by now, it's actually moved much further away from us. So, so that's the sense in which um, you, you need to, to take into account uh, the distance. The distance is related to how far back in time it is. If you can look back, if you can look out far enough, you can look arbitrarily back in time, uh, in principle, even to the Big Bang. But there are some reasons that you can't do that, so. Okay, here's another one. I'll give this one to you, Lauren. This is an email from Edie. The pilot who landed the airplane on the Hudson River said time slowed down, and he was amazed when he saw the recording evidence of the time the landing took. Temple Grandin mentioned her perception of time feeling slow when she navigated avoiding an accident 
while driving. And I think that we've all had that experience that whether you're about to be in a car accident or, or something else, when all of a sudden it seems as though time slows down. Um, this is related to my earlier question. How do you think about that? Yeah, so I think it's important here, um, again, to think about um, it's not really time necessarily slowing down in these examples. What it really is, is um, events in time and our perception of time uh, being uh, change. So this isn't sort of like the time dilation examples. Time is not actually speeding up or slowing down, but our perception of it is as if it seems to be. So this um, uh, different, there's different kinds of explanations that you might have uh, for this um, to do with, you know, what's going on in your body um, and also um, the importance of sort of paying attention uh, can change your perception of the way that uh, the time is is flowing. Um, so there's our there's time, and then there's also our perception of time, or at least that's how I think about it. Now, not every philosopher has uh, thought that there is this distinction between um, time as uh, as a category um, out there in the world, and then our perception of time. Um, some philosophers have also just thought that look, the only thing that could possibly be counted as time is our conscious perception of time. But then you, you have to say that look, it actually does speed up or slow down, and we do have different times, and so that that sort of leads you into those sorts of um, issues. An email from Anne. In my imagination, I've always had a visual picture that time over the course of a year is a horizontal ellipse, the fall being on the left and the spring on the right. I'm 65 and I've been seeing this since I was a young child. So a way of perceiving of time. And I'm wondering, Stephen, even among physicists, do people see time differently? Um, I think that we might all have our own sort of internal vision or, or internal views of, of time. Um, I, I mean, physicists often, uh, the first thing you do when you want to think about a problem is you draw a picture uh, that, that in which you try to sort of figure out the relations of the different parts of the problem to one another. Um, I think that might be kind of a personal thing, though. I, I don't think there's anything uh, sort of objective about that. So, um, but it, it's often helpful in visualizing the problems and so visualizing time in, the, in that way. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, I think. We'll go to Larry calling from Bangor. Hi, Larry. So philosophical topic. Um, I could go on forever with it as a physicist. Um, what I want to talk about is we don't belong in the Eastern time zone. We belong in the Atlantic time zone. <laughs> and the only way of semi-fixing that is to be on permanent daylight savings time. And I don't know if anybody wants to talk about that, but it's you know, high noon at my house occurs about uh, 1040 in the morning. Larry, thanks. Um, so this is a topic that's, of course, related and has been talked about in Maine on and off for well, I've been here for almost 30 years and <laughs> all that time. Um, Lauren Ashwell, I want to know why you think people are so passionate about uh, daylight savings time, uh, why they're so passionate about what talking about what time zone we need to be in. This is this is not something that people talk about. Everyone I know has an opinion and that opinion is strongly held. Yeah, I mean, we have to really think about how um, 
our, our life is structured by time and how um, the different things that we're expected to do during the day have to happen at particular times and the relationship between what we think of as like 9am uh, in relation to where the sun is can make a huge difference. I know that I personally would really love to have permanent daylight savings time um, because of the way my life is structured where I have control over what I do is more in the in the evening hours so I want some more light then I want to be able to go out for a run uh, in the light and not in not in the dark and feel safer but not everyone structures their life that way and so when we're thinking about um, what we should do in terms of um, moving uh, to permanent daylight savings times or moving to permanent standard time. Um, I think we've got to think beyond just our, our own personal preferences and really think about bigger questions. So we might want to think about, you know, which structure would help us um, meet our other goals of uh, combating climate change uh, would per de permanent daylight savings time do that or would it would we uh, uh, would we maybe uh, disadvantage um, particular more vulnerable groups by moving to to that so we've got to look at um, sort of broader broader questions about um, the ethics of of picking one particular thing but I I do think there's good evidence to suggest that we should be um, not having time changes, uh, that these can be really problematic for, for health and for, for accidents um, because of tiredness and fatigue. Interesting. Steve Nasulich, how do you think about uh, what time zone Maine is in and um, the whole perpetual daylight saving time debate? Um, so, I mean, as you say, everyone has opinions about it and they differ from one another. This is, of course, largely a political issue of, of what, what, what happens. I, I guess it is clear that the the, the change in time uh, twice a year does does lead to a lot of uh, negative effects, as 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 Lauren was mentioning. Um, I do know that um, so several the U.S. I believe in the '70s did actually for a period of time switch to permanent daylight savings time. Uh, it was a, an economic decision based on uh, it was during the energy crisis, um, and. Um, but I believe that it was actually quite unpopular uh, and, and was given up after a year or so, uh, mostly having to do with get, be, getting up very early in the winter um, uh, uh, before, before the sun had risen. Um, so maybe it makes more sense to, to go the other way with that. I, I, I think there are, have also been other countries that have tried to go to a permanent daylight savings time and then uh, it's been very unpopular. So we ought to probably look at past exper experiences with that before we uh, make a change in that direction. All right, um, I'm gonna go back to you, Steve, with this question. I'm convinced that time's accelerating. I'm only half joking there. Is it possible that time could be accelerating and we don't know it? Or we don't have a way uh, of measuring it? In it <laughs> uh, I think in, in, an, in an object, well, okay, let's see. In an objective sense, I'm gonna you know, defer to my seizing clocks to, to find time. And I think there, there, there's no evidence for it. I certainly know that, um, I, I mean, my own feeling is as as you age, uh, time seems to be speeding up. I think I think it's more of a phenomenon of human aging. I mean, this is just a, a, I don't have anything to base this on, but uh, except my own experience, I, I I I've often said that one's perception of time goes inversely with with uh, how long you've lived and how long you've lived. So between the ages of ten uh, and twenty, you've lived ten years, but it's half of your life. 
Whereas if you're uh, my age, um, the time from um, 50 to 60 is only one sixth of my life. And so I think it seems correspondingly shorter because it's a shorter fraction of my life. But that's just my own personal. Lauren, you're going to get the last word. Talk about acceleration of time. Yeah, I definitely have also had that um, that same kind of experience that um, time definitely seems to be uh, seems to be speeding up. Um, but I do think it's important to sort of remember that it's not, in fact, doing so, um, as as Steve was was saying. Um, so we really sort of have to think about our. Um, our experience of time in relation to our personal narratives and you know that might be what what is speeding up and perhaps as one of our callers suggested maybe the solution to times feeling like it's speeding up is is meditation and living more in trying to live more in the present. Mm. Um, I love this email from Mike. Uh, Mike writes, my mother had to get six boys woken up fed dressed and out the door for the bus every school day morning. We had one bathroom. How, she, how could she have accomplished this unless time s stood still? So um, that's funny. And, um, and then Jonathan, is time expressed in experience? And I think you answered this, Lauren. Yes. Uh, Jonathan notes that young children traveling always ask, when will we arrive? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? You know, um, a child's uh, perception of time is how far we are from getting there yet. So um, both of you, thank you so much for joining us today on Main Calling for this um, big conversation. We never have enough time. Uh, Professor Steve Nasulich is a phys phys physicist who teaches at Bowdoin College. Professor Lauren Ashwell, a philosopher who teaches at Bates College. Today's sound engineer was Sandra Harris. Main Calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. You can subscribe to our newsletter or find past shows by going to maincalling.org. Tomorrow on the program, we will discuss something a little more concrete. We're going to discuss the pro proposal to restore parole in Maine. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you have been listening to Maine Calling on Maine Public Radio. Anyway.